when I'm preaching just because you're tired, okay? So shake yourself up a little bit. God is good. Let's pray. Let's pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would move even now, Lord Jesus, in our service, Lord God. God, I thank you for touching us, Lord. I thank you for these rhema words on dunamis power, that we have the ability through your Holy Spirit to do mighty exploits for your name, Jesus. God, I pray today this word that you dropped in my spirit for your body, for your church. God, I pray that we would receive it, Lord Jesus, that we would take it, Lord God, into our hearts and that we would apply it to our lives, God, that we would allow it to produce good fruit in us because, God, we want to please you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as you guys know, we're on a sermon series called Dunamis. It's a study of God's power, and we're specifically going over um, different accounts that are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, a lot of scholars call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but I like um, what what we call it, the acts of the Holy Spirit, because when you actually read the book of Acts, it really doesn't have a conclusion at the end of the book, because the Holy Spirit is still moving today. He's still moving in his people. And so uh, the Greek word for dunamis means ability, abundance, worker of miracle, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful work. See, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples had delegated influence or delegated authority. But then after the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they had dynamite ability or dynamite, uh, uh, they added ability to their authority. And that's what dunamis means. It's just a powerful, wonderful thing. And so this past several weeks, we've heard quite a few words on dunamis. And I just want us to kind of do a little recap, a little review before we dive into what we're going to be talking about this week. Does anyone remember any of the subjects that we've been talking about concerning that dunamis power? Pastor Josh has shared and and Pastor Steve and Earl and all kinds of, anyone remember anything that we've talked about so far? The infilling of the Holy Spirit, or some scholars say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's one thing that we've talked about. Awesome. Anyone else remember anything else that we've talked about in the last couple weeks? Power. We've talked about God's power, his Holy Spirit. What's some things that God's power and his Holy Spirit does um, through his people? Some of the things we've talked about. Does anyone remember when Pastor Joshua preached what, what we saw happen that week? It was pretty awesome. Healing. We saw like 10 different people get healed, and we talked about how God can use us um, through the name of Jesus to pray for some people and to see people healed. And we saw that this week when we went out on the, sh- on the streets with our teenagers to the bus stops and to the parks. We saw some people get healed, so it was pretty awesome. What else? So we talked about healing. We talked about power. Yeah. Check your strategy. Yes. Very good. Yeah, we talked about checking your strategy. And when uh, Pastor Steve spoke, he, he spoke over different individuals, and, and the different individuals said, man, it was right on. What did he speak? What, what's that spiritual gift called? Prophecy, prophetic word. He had prophetic words over people. So this, the last several weeks, man, and then Pastor Earl talked about, you want to remember what he talked about? The Holy Spirit and that doing this power also helps us serve. 
So we've learned all kinds of things. We've learned that through the Holy Spirit and the power and the ability that the Holy Spirit gives us, first we need to be baptized, we need to be immersed with His Spirit, and then through His Spirit we can we can prophesy in Jesus' name. We can pray for people and see them healed in Jesus' name. It gives us the the, uh, uh, the ability to to serve others. It helps us check our strategy. All these things that we've been learning has just been an amazing time in the presence of God. And today I felt like the Lord dropped this in my spirit, and it wasn't just today. It's really I've been kind of pondering on it this entire week. This is a concept that has to do with the Holy Spirit, has to do with dunamis power. We see it throughout the early church. We see it demonstrated in the book of Acts, and it's called the fear of the Lord. Can you say the fear of the Lord? We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord today and how we need it. We're going to go to a specific account in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. This is one of my favorite accounts. Now, you remember the book of Acts is the history of the early church. It's how the Holy Spirit moved in the early church. So this is not just some make-believe fairy tale story. This really happened in the early church. So we're going to read this together, and I need you guys to pay attention because this is going to be the foundation of what we're going to be talking about today. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property... With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back parts of the money for himself. Someone say shady. But brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? I love this wisdom right here in verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Talk about an altar call. That was kind of crazy. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Can you say, cray, cray? I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, it is not boring. I mean, this is just wild. I mean, can you imagine being at church And somebody coming up to the altar and they're making a big deal of it. They're like, look at all this money I got. Have you ever been to a church where they take offerings? I like it. I've been to an African church. I mean, I love how they, how they, um, take an offering. They don't just like pass a bag and everybody gets to sit in their comfortable chairs. No, you want to give an offering. You're getting up out of your seat and you're dancing and you're coming up to the altar and you're throwing them in the baskets. I'm like, I I love it. So can you imagine just picture kind of, that's kind of how I picture it. Okay. They're, you know, in the early church and they're having a service and there's the apostles at the front and here comes Ananias like, yeah, look at this offering. I'm about to fill up the whole basket. I'm going to lay it right at the apostle feet. I'm giving you 
everything, he says. Everything for this property I sold. See, first of all, in Ananias, if you actually read the book of Acts, basically what happened was there was a man named Barnabas, and his name means son of encouragement. And he sold some property, and he gave everything out of the kindness of his heart to the apostles. No one told him that he had to do it. He wasn't like, you know, watching... I'm not going to go there. No one told him he had to sell everything. He decided that he wanted to, and he gave it to the apostles. Now, Ananias saw this and said, ooh, I like that attention that he got. So I'm going to sell. And then he got that money. He was like, ooh, this is a lot. I'm going to tell them I'm going to give them everything, but I'm going to hold back part to myself. Peter said, it was all yours anyway. You could have done anything you wanted with that money. But you lied to the Holy Spirit, and he died. And his wife, knowing full well, went and did the same thing and died too. Can you imagine being in a church service and seeing that, like, slain in the spirit? Like, they didn't just fall out in the spirit and was, like, resting before the Lord. We've seen that. We've seen people getting prayed for and they fall backwards and they're just, no. He fell backwards dead. Right? This is crazy. So, but what we read is that great fear seized the whole church. And then we, we could read on in another place in the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 9. I love this verse. Now, this is, this, has, this is a different, this has nothing to do with right here, but it builds up to it, okay? So there's a time, it says right here in Acts 9, chapter 31, it says, Then the church throughout, throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, that's where the church started, right, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, strengthened. Now listen to this. It says, living in the fear of the Lord. Say that with me. Living in the fear of the Lord. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now that word living in the fear of the Lord really jumped out at me because I believe that this is something that the fear of the Lord is a key component, one of the foundational things in our salvation and walk with the Lord. I'm going to explain that early on. And I believe it is a missing key that's in the church today. We no longer know how to live in the fear of the Lord. And it is holding people back. And I believe there's a lot of people who believe that they're saved and they're not because they do not have the fear of the Lord. Now, I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions. Anyone who knows me knows that um, I like to give details. <laughs> and I like to clear up because I'm a thinker. Even though I'm a talker, I'm a thinker. And so I start thinking, thinking things. And so I like to try to clear up any kind of misconceptions before I go into even more deeper. So we're going to pause here on we need to learn to live in the fear of the Lord. And we're going to go back. And we're going to explain some misconceptions about fear, okay? There's a difference between being afraid of God, which is bad, and the fear of the Lord, which is good, okay? So we're going to explain the difference between being afraid of God, which is bad, and the fear of the Lord, which is the Bible says we need, okay? To be afraid of God is bad because his word says perfect love expels all fear, right? First John 4.18. As Christians... We don't have to be afraid of punishment because Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid of punishment. His perfect love drives out all fear. But yet at the same time, we read in the Bible this thing called the fear of the Lord. Matter of fact, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And God wants his people to have wisdom and knowledge. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. It's pretty important to understand what the fear of the Lord is. So there's two different things. There's being afraid of God, which is bad. It's, 
It's something that, that the devil tries to make us be afraid of God and his gifts and the Holy Spirit. And that's bad. Perfect love drives that fear out. But there's a different kind of fear that's called the fear of the Lord, which is good, which is reverence and respect. And it's all, and it's, it's an amazing thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. And we have to have an understanding of the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But love from the Lord is its completion. What is the fear of the Lord? This is a, I think, think the fear of the Lord is so deep that it doesn't just take a one-liner. So we're going to go into a, John Brevere. He writes a book on the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to read you a paragraph of what the fear of the Lord is, okay? So it's, uh, the fear of the Lord, by, this is a quote by John Brevere. It says, along with the love of God, the fear of the Lord is the most important foundational element of our Christian walk. Besides, so there's two important foundational elements of our Christian walk, according to this author. He says, the love of God and what? The fear of the Lord. It's a wonderful work produced by the Holy Spirit, empowering us to avoid evil, obey God's commands, and live intimately with him every day. It's not only the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, but also the key of God's storehouses and blessings. So it's the beginning of wisdom, but it also releases what in our life, according to what I just read here? Blessings. And we're going to read scripture to back all this up, okay? Although its definition is far-reaching, it is basically a deep overriding awe and reverence for God, his word, and his unsearchable ways. It is through the fear of the Lord that we are able to grow and mature in holiness. (laughs) Now, friends, you heard me say that in the beginning of the church, we read the scripture that they lived in the fear of the Lord. And we see that they were able to do great and mighty exploits for the Lord. They were able to do all kinds of miracles and prophecies and, and, and amazing things for God. Amazing encounters with God. And now today we do see some of that stuff and that stuff is starting to be restored to, to the church. But a missing element is the fear of the Lord. And I think it's holding a lot of people back from growing and holiness, and maturing in God. That's why we have so many people who are stuck at being baby Christians, even though they've been in the church for 10 plus years. It's shocking to me when I ask someone how long that they've been saved, and they tell me, oh, I've been saved for 10 years, or 15 years, or or 20 years, and yet they're still struggling with the same thing that they struggled with the very first day that they came to know Christ. Could it be that they don't know how to live in the fear of the Lord? I believe so. Most of us know that loving God is foundational, to our salvation, but many of us are unaware that the fear of the Lord is also foundational to salvation. Let's read Isaiah 33, 6. It says, he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Do you get that? What is the key to this treasure of salvation? The fear of the Lord. So yes, we need to have the love of God, but we need to have the fear of the Lord. I've seen so many in the body of Christ today get off balance. We're love, God is love, God is love, God is love. Yes, God is love. But the angels in heaven are crying out, holy, holy, holy. That's his attribute too, holiness and justice and his majesty. He's, he, he is love. But the fear of the Lord helps us understand His holiness, friends. Therefore, since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and is the foundation of our salvation, all Christians must have a basic understanding of the fear of the Lord so we can walk in it. 
Now we're going to go joy style and we're going to break down the word fear and you're going to understand it because I'm teaching it. And guess what? An acrostic, baby, it's going to be awesome. So we're going to break down this word fear and we're going to talk about steps that we need to take in order to walk in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we're going to talk about steps we need to take in order to walk in the fear of the Lord. Step one. Are you with me? So I'm with you, Pastor. I'm with you. Okay, step one. To fear the Lord, we must remain faithful to his word. Say faithful. Breaking down that word fear as an acrostic, the very first one is F. We must remain faithful. And faithful to his word, friends. The fear of the Lord leads to a life that is faithful to the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord in order to live a life that is faithful to the Lord. Philippians 2, 12, man, this scripture... Pastor Steve, you remember the scripture? This scripture was like so, I mean, when we got, when we, all of us got on fire for God, this was our scripture. It wasn't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and say a little prayer. No, we was like, man, you, you want to be saved? Therefore, my brothers, you have always have obeyed, not only in the presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we memorized. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I remember when Pastor Josh and I were engaged and we were waiting until we got married before we were intimate. So our engagement was like really short because we was not about to sin, right? Like we dated two months and was engaged six, but we was not about to sin. Man, if I remember when we got, if we kissed too heavy, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if Jesus came back right now and, and we're not even married yet? And we were, I'm telling you, it was the fear of the Lord. We would, it's what caused us to tell people about Jesus. We would be going down the street. We're like, we got to stop. What if he comes back right now? I want I want him to come back finding me, leading someone to the Lord. Like, there was a fear of God. We wanted to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, friends. It's something that has been lost in the church today, and we need to get it back. We need to get it back. Because we're like, oh, God is so, God is so loving that, that we have missed that he's also just. And he will judge sin. Ananias and Sapphira cared more about looking good in front of people than actually being faithful to God. How many of us just try to put on a show in front of people instead of truly walking in faithfulness that comes from the fear of the Lord? Right? How many of us sometimes still just try to put on a show? Maybe we're not as big with it with like Ananias. But sometimes we come to church and we put on a show. We put on a show and we pretend to be one thing and then we, sh- we, we never get to the real heart issues of being faithful to the Lord. See, friends, this is something that I understand because as a pastor, we see a lot of people that put on a show and people think they get over on us all the time, but we're just like, what ups? We're not God, so um, you can pretend to be one thing around us. God still needs, sees the true close. I remember one time, Pastor and Josh and I were invited to... Um, a, a, a open house of someone who was just, you know, what do you call it, like a housewarming party. They invited us, and so, of course, you know, we, we came. And I remember going in, into the kitchen, and they were um, they were doing shots. But when we walked in, they put their little glasses behind their back. <laughs> they invited us to their party, and yet I guess they just felt a need when we walked in to, to hide what they were doing behind their back. I remember when Pastor Josh used to, um, back when we were, Children's pastors would, would ride the big big red bus and all the buses that we had. We would go pick up people and the projects and different things. And people would have their 40s, and then we would pull up with the church bus and psh, right behind their back, right? But yet, we got to understand this. God sees what we put behind our back, friends. 
He sees all. He sees what we behind we put behind our back. He sees what we pretend that we're not doing. Okay? God would rather us be real. Say, I'm still struggling with this. Than to pretend. God would like Peter said to Ananias, this was all your money. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. Instead of pretending to do one thing. See, a godly fear means we dread displeasing him. Can I say that again? I'm going to say that again because y'all didn't get that. A godly fear means we dread displeasing him. We do not want to displease him. We desire his favor. We revere, we revere his holiness. We submit to his will and are grateful for his benefits. Sincerely worship him and consciously obey his commands. See, I'm going to give some examples from the word of God of people who had a healthy fear of the Lord in their life. Abraham, our father of faith, he proved that he had a fear of the Lord by obeying the commands to sacrifice his own son, although God provided a ram in a bush and he didn't have to. Joseph proved that he feared the Lord when he forgave his brothers who did him dirty because he knew that it was really God that was working through their evil intentions, right? Listen, the Egyptian midwives feared God even though they were not Hebrews, even though they were not God's chosen people. They feared God, and when they were commanded by the Pharaoh to abort the Hebrew babies, they would dare not lift their hand against those children. They dare not kill the children of God because of the fear of the Lord, friends. The so many more. Moses chose leaders to help him based on the fact that they feared God and wanted to take bribes. The Mosianic law cites fear of God as a reason to treat the disabled and elderly well. Jesus tells us to not fear the world, but only fear God. Paul tells us to work towards complete holiness because of the fear of God. Friends, the fear of God is foundational in our faith. The fear of the Lord is so important. We have to get this understanding. If we want to be faithful to the Lord, if we want to live faithful lives in obedience, we need the fear of the Lord. Amen? Step two. So step one, being faithful to the Lord. That's what the fear of God produces in our lives, right? Step two, if you want to walk in the fear of the Lord, we need to realize and we need to have a hate, a hatred for evil. We need to hate evil, friends. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs 8, 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and ignorance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Holy fear is God-giving, enabling men to reverence God's authority, obey his commandments, and hate and shun all forms of evil. Rich Miller said that. The church has lost... God's holy balance, to live holy lives. We must love the Lord, but we also must hate evil. Some of y'all ain't getting this today. I'm, I'm preaching myself happy up here. This is, this is some good stuff. Listen, we've lost, we've lost the harmony that God wants us to have. Not only do we have to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we must hate evil. Love what he loves and hate what he hates. See, when we get saved, we're now underneath a new government. We're now underneath a new authority and it's called the kingdom of God. And now our government is the kingdom of God and we are, we have to abide by his rule and reign, friends. And what God says, he's a king. He's not just a president in for eight years if he's lucky. Listen, he's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and his reign is eternity, friends. And we have to understand 
then when we come into the kingdom, when we're born again, and now we're now in his kingdom, his rule and reign needs to be what we abide by, friends. And what he loves, we should love. And what he hates, we should hate. See, Romans 12, 9 says it like this. Love must be sincere, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hmm. We just want to say love must be sincere, but I, Romans 12, 9, you can look it up. That came last minute to me this morning, so that's not in your notes. But Romans 12, 9 says love must be sincere, and it says hate what is evil, cling to what is good. A lot of times we just want to cling to the good and forget about the evil. But no, friends, God says we're to hate what is evil. Not who is evil, but what is evil in them. That's where we get confused as the church. See, Ananias and Sapphira did not hate evil. If they would have hated evil, they would have never tried to lie to the Holy Spirit because lying is evil. And God says he hates perverse speech. He hates a lying tongue. And so lying, even though they were trying to do a good thing, they were trying to make their good thing look better than what it really was. And so therefore, even what they thought was good was truly evil. Because they did not hate lying. God knows the truth and is the truth. And we need to hate what God hates and love what he loves. Friends, we need to do a heart check. Because oftentimes what we do is we look and we see the evil in everything else except for the evil in our own hearts. We need to do a heart check and say, God, is there anything evil in my heart? Is there, is there, is there anything that I do that is unpleasing to you? And ask him, man, I want the fear of the Lord. I don't want to do anything. See, the fear of the Lord makes us want favor with God. We don't want to displease him. So we're going to hate what he hates and love what he loves. And God hates evil. So... In order to walk in this fear of the Lord, step one, we need to be what? Faithful to God. Step two, we need to hate what? Evil. Step three, we're taking a third step here, right? One, two, three. Step three, in order to walk in the fear of the Lord, we need to have and stand in all of his holiness. Can you say that with me? In all of his holiness. Psalms 33, 8, and this is in the NET version here. It says, let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all who live in the world stand in awe of him. Isn't that beautiful? To fear God is to be awestruck with God's character and word. I'm going to read that one more time. To fear God is to be awestruck with his character and his word. It is the state of deep reverence. And it can cause us to tremble before him because his righteous judgment. The fear of the Lord is also a joyful praise and worship of his glory, resulting in humble obedience to his will. Neil T. Anderson. I love that quote. God wants us to stand in all of him. This has to do with worship, friends. It really does. A lot of times we think worship is just this place of singing, but worship is a lifestyle. And in our lifestyle of worship, we need to be in awe of God. That's why we call God awesome, right? Because he is the only one that, that we should stand in awe of. But we misuse that word awesome for some reason. Oh, that pizza was so awesome. Did you taste it? You know, we just use awesome for everything. But I really believe that awesome can only really explain God. Because we need to stand in awe of him. Because he's so awesome, friends. He's so amazing. He's so holy and righteous and worthy of praise. 
See, the creator of the universe is the almighty and awesome. His attributes such as power and majesty and justice and holiness certainly should inspire all in us. It should certainly inspire worship in us. But not just that, it's also, the scripture says that the Lord's blessings should also inspire all or worship in us. His goodness, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. How awesome is our God, friends. How awesome is our God. We should stand in awe of him. To be in awe of God is to worship God. The original Greek word for the word fear and and connection with the fear of the Lord is throughout most of the New Testament are phobos and phobio. And they generally mean alarm, fright, or terror. And they carry the idea of being in awe of friends. How amazing is that? See, Ananias and Sapphira did not have an awe of God because they dared to come to worship service and they tried to con the Holy Spirit. Really? They were like the original con artists. They tried to con the Holy Spirit. They had no awe. They had no respect and reverence in worship. Whenever we enter into worship, it should always be with awe. That is why we say again, God is awesome. The awe of God should lead us towards holy living. True holiness does not major on the minor. That's legalism. I got to explain this for a minute. I, I know, guys, this is more of a teaching, okay? But you got to understand things for us to in, walk in it. So you got to pay attention, okay? Sometimes in teachings, we want to zone off. But you got to understand things in order to walk in it. So get this, because this is good stuff, okay? We need to understand the difference between holiness and legalism because the church has confused it and there's a whole generation who wants nothing to do with holiness because they think of holiness as legalism and it's not the same thing okay god's when we stand in awe and stand in worship of god we are going to now begin to start to live a life of holiness but instead the church has taught holiness um as legalism for a very long time legalism is not holiness legalism majors on the minor it's you know you can't wear makeup. You got to wear a bun and a jean skirt down to your down to the floor. You know what I'm talking about. You can't dance. You can't play play cards. Like all cards are evil, even goldfish. You know. You can't watch movies. I mean, any movies. You can't watch movies. You can't. All that stuff is what legalism. And the and and the and there's a new generation that does not understand or want the holiness of God because when they think of holiness, they think of buns, no makeup, and jean skirts. It is not holiness. Holiness is not an outward expression because Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your, your hearts are far away from me. Holiness is not an outward expression. As a matter of fact, he said, clean the inside of a cup and dish instead of focusing on the outside. Who wants to go to someone's house and the outside of the dish is all nice and then you go inside of it and you're getting ready to eat and you see big clumps of nasty. Nobody wants to eat from that. It's like my teenager did the dishes. You know what I'm saying? It's nasty. Nobody wants to eat from that. It's called legalism, and it's not holiness. Let me break down what holiness is. It's not measuring on the minor. Holiness is being set apart and dedicated to God. That's what holiness is. It's being set apart and being dedicated to God. His all, his awesome attributes should lead us to a life of holiness. I want to share a personal example 
for a minute, not to puff myself up, but just to explain further on what I mean by this. There was a time here recently um, when Pastor Josh and I had a little vacation back in, in June, and I had an awe moment with God, like this awesome worship time. I mean, God just totally set up our little vacation. I mean, I told you all, Eddie James was there. It was awesome, one of my favorite gospel singers. And the, the place, that we're, the campground that we stayed at, just, there was just like a presence of God that just rested on it. And so before we even knew who was there, I mean, we were walking, and God just like, I mean, I'm just walking, right? Just trying to get my steps in, sisters. Come on, you know what I mean. I mean, you got to work hard when you, when you get up there closer to 40, right? So I'm walking, and, and I'm just praying, and then God just, like, begins to speak to me, and it was like an awe moment. Have you ever had an awe moment where God speaks to you and you know it's God? And he shared, he reminded me of some things. He, he took me back. All the way back to the, to the beginning with me. And he's, he reminded me of when I was 19 years old and I came to the Lord in a, in a way. See, I came to the Lord when I was nine. But at 19, things began to click. And the Lord asked me to give up dating at, at 19 years old. And it was a progressive state. First, I gave it up for three months. Then I gave it up for a year. Then I went to Bible school and you couldn't date for another year. And then I said, I'm, not, I'm done dating unless the Lord tells me this is my husband. And that's what happened with, with Pastor Josh. But the Lord reminded me of that. He said, do you remember when I asked you? to give this up for the summer. I said, yes, God. He said, do you remember what came from that? Obedience. I said, yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for the blessings in my life. Thank you for, for the call of God because I, I said yes and I was obedient. Thank you for the husband that's a support and a, and, uh, and a covering for me. And I'm thanking the Lord. He said, I'm asking you to give up something for this summer. And he told me what it was. And I said, yes, God. It's not something I would want to give up. But I was super excited to say yes because he reminded me of the blessing that came from a time he asked me to give up something. So I said, yes, God, I'll give that up for you. Now, listen, friends, um, I have not told but a very, very small handful of people what that was. And I'm not going to tell you now. I know your wheels are turning. You're being nosy. I get it, especially you ladies. You want to know. It's not important because it's something God asked me to give up. He didn't ask you to give up. But what we do... And how we confuse, see, this is something that God is producing holiness, more a deeper level of holiness in my life because he asked me to sacrifice this for him. Okay? But what we do is when God asks us to do something personal, we put it on other people. And so if I went and I told everybody right now what God asked me to give up, some of you guys might try to copy that and go give that up too and think, oh, God told Pastor Joy to do that, so maybe if I do that too, it's going to do something awesome in my life. But God didn't tell you to do it. God told me to do it. And what we do is we make doctrines out of minor things. And then we make people stumble because God never spoke that revelation to that person. God spoke it to somebody else. And now we're trying to copy what God did to someone else in our own life and it messes us up. And see, we begin now because God might have spoke years ago to somebody not to play cards. That person was supposed to give that up for the Lord. But then they began to tell everybody cards are evil. And then there's a young generation who God didn't speak that to the young generation. He didn't spoke it to the older generation. And this young generation, I just want to play go fish with my kids. But, I mean, this church is telling me it's evil. And you see how silly that is? But this is what we do, friends. And it's not anything new because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for doing very that, that very thing. Matter of fact, he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single comfort. Now, does that say, sound like someone who is not committed? <coughs> Be real. Does that sound like an uncommitted person? He said, woe to you, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea. He's talking to missionaries, friends. And he's saying, you do this to win a single 
single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child as hell as you. Whoa! I mean, crazy! And this is what we do because God will speak something to us and we will turn it into a doctrine. And I'm not talking about what's in his word. Don't get me twisted, okay? I'm not talking about what the Bible says, like avoid sexual immorality. Oh, God spoke that to me, but not you, so I can live with my boyfriend and have sex outside. No, 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 no. Don't get me twisted. There's things that are clear in the Bible that says everyone should not do. But there's other things that these Pharisees tried to add that were traditions, that were things that God might have spoke to them, but not to everybody, and they're making it hard for people to enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus came, and he preached a simple message, and he said the kingdom of God is at hand. But we're making the kingdom of God far, reached for people because we are not making it at hand because we don't understand what it means to be in all of God, to worship God, and to live a life of holiness, not legalism. Come on, somebody get this today. Friends, we need to realize that we need to lean on or learn that worship is a lifestyle. And it's the all of God that leads to holiness, not legalism. Listen, man, we got to stop putting things on other people. I've had people come over to my house and see my son reading a book and say, you got him reading that book? I'm like, oh, my gosh, my 12-year-old's reading a book. How awesome is that? And you're sitting there criticizing that he's reading a book that you don't think is good enough or holy enough for him? Why do we do that? Instead of c- concerned about your little judgment and gossip that you're having right now, because you probably went and told someone, Pastor Josh's son is reading this book. You're playing this video game? Oh my gosh, you Pokemon? Why are you worried about the demons in your own house? Come on, friends. Okay, let me shut up now. (laughs) Am I having fun? I'm having fun. I don't know about y'all, but I'm having a good old time. It's the difference between legalism and holiness, friends. Get it right. God wants you to live in awe. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to hate, li- uh, hate evil. And he wants you to live in awe, which brings holiness. That all of God brings holiness. Why does it bring holiness? Because the Bible says that God is holy. And if we are going to worship him, we need to be holy too, friends. And so you have to have holiness in- to enter into worship. Are you getting this? It's good stuff. We need to restore the fear of the Lord to the church. And so, yes, be faithful, hate evil, be, live in awe and stand in awe of God. And then step four, the fear of the Lord, we must respect and revere his name and character in order to receive his reward. I see how I did that for you. I gave you three R's, and I'm not talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic. But these are three R's that are very important right here. We need to respect and revere God's name, his character, and who he is. And when we do that, the third R comes, that reward. Friends, the Bible talks about a reward and serving the Lord. He is our reward. But there's also, he gives us crowns, he gives us jewels, man. And guess what? Just to be in his presence, we're all going to get there and we're going to just lay down those crowns. We're going to lay down those jewels at his feet, friends. But listen, we're never going to receive a reward if we don't understand how to respect and revere his name. Luke 12, this is Jesus, so we need to pay attention, okay? Luke 12, 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 1 Peter 1, 
14 and 17 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written. Be holy. Why? Because I am holy. And then it says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your times as foreigners here in what? Reverent fear. What is that? It's the fear of the Lord. Are you guys getting this, friends? God desires our reverent fear and our reverent worship to desire our close fellowship. As we draw close to him in prayer, we will see that there is no real contradiction between the two. A proper respect and awe and worship is possible without perceiving God as cold and distant. Okay? There are, there, the more we get to know him, the more we shall see how his majesty and intimate love of God are reconciled. You can love God and you can fear him. You can draw near to him. You don't have to think that he's this cold, mean, far off dad figure. That's not God. But yet we still need to come near him with respect and reverent fear of the Lord. And friends, when we do, God is going to reward us. He is going to bless us. He is going to rock our world. The fear of the Lord is assigning God the most high, the infinite and highest place of honor in your life. Do you get that? The fear of the Lord is saying he has the highest place in my life. The one I respect and revere the absolute most. See, this is where Sephora messed up. I'm about to teach you ladies something. You ready? This is specifically a nugget for you. Say, say, all the ladies in the house say, hey. This is a specific nugget for you. And men, you can listen to it and remind your wife in case she forgets. Okay? (laughs) Sephora messed up in this. She did not place God as the most high in her life. Instead, she placed her husband's word above God's word. Let me teach you about real godly submission. You want to know? At this time, husbands say, yes, please, teach the ladies. Godly submission. Submission means under mission. Can you say that with me? Say under mission. Women do not like that word submission, and I feel you. I had to understand what it meant because I am a strong woman, and I did not like it either. I'm just being real. But listen, once I realize what it means, I can handle it. Submission means under mission mission, right? The Bible says that the husband is to submit to God, be under his mission, and the wife is to submit to her husband, be under his mission, unto the Lord. So it's easy for me to submit to my husband who I see praying and submitting to God and leading the family the way God wants the family to be led. If my husband got off and told me to do something contrary to the word of God, do I have to submit? No, because submission means what? Under mission. Sephora was struck down. I've had women teach and heard women teach that they would not be judged for something that they do wrong because their husband told them to do it wrong and they're in submission. That's about as stupid as the pastors that tell women to stay with men who beat them. I want to slap them off. Do not stay with a man who beats you. And there's pastors that have told women that. No. The Bible says that God hates violence. Are you kidding me? A violent man. Come on. Okay, that's off on a different key, but let me get back on the submission thing here. <laughs> because this is, we don't have godly marriages anymore because everybody's all twisted up. 
It's not that hard. He loves me. I respect him. It's a good thing. He submits to God. I submit to him. It's all good. But friends, Sapphira was judged as harshly as Ananias because she lied. Now, if she would have came in and Peter would have been like, listen, is this the full amount? And she'd be like, listen, Peter. It's n- I told that man. I told him to give the full amount. But he wasn't listening to me. He, he gave a partial. She would have walked out there just being blessed. That woman of God, she's a woman of God still. Instead, she said, yup, yup. No, no, no. Do you guys get this? Submission means under mission, amen? Friends, when we respect and revere the Lord, when we respect and revere him, when we put him most in our life, that means God is higher than anyone else. Sometimes people get, they're lonely and they're, they struggle. I've heard men talk about this. I was lonely and I was struggling and I was dealing with pornography and I thought if I got married, all my issues would go away. My wife was going to fix everything. No, friends, your wife ain't going to fix everything. That's an issue in your heart that needs to get fixed. Getting married is not going to fix it. And then women come to me and they're like, I just, I, you know, I just needed a godly man to pray for me and he's supposed to be the priest and I'm just all, have you prayed for yourself? Have you went before the Lord? Well, that's his job. Are you kidding me? When we stand before the Lord, friends, you realize it's going to be just you and him, right? Okay. That's a nugget. That's a little nugget that has nothing to do with anything, but yeah. Okay. I mean, it has a lot to do with a lot of things. Really, it has a lot to do with holy living. Because the Bible says that our marriages, godly marriages, are supposed to show the world how Christ loves the church. How can that happen when all we're doing is bickering and fighting and acting a fool in church? God needs to heal our marriage. If he wants to, uh, uh, wants to use us to, to save the world, come on. Friends, when we respect and revere the Lord, we will receive a reward and blessing that comes from our obedience. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the reward in front of man for a lie. But the person who f- truly fears the Lord wants the reward from God and not man. Do you get that? Here's, I'm going to end on these scriptures here. Here's some spiritual proof that our reward comes from revering the Lord. I love this scripture. Psalms 128, 1 through 4, the NLT. It says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Who are follow his ways. So what are those who follow, uh, follow the Lord? What are they? What's the description for them? They're what? They're joyful. Isn't that a nice thing? Don't you love happy Christians? They're much nicer than cranky ones, right? Number, verse 2 here says, You enjoy the fruit of your labor. Isn't that sound awesome to enjoy the fruit of your labor? Hold up here. Number 3. Oh, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine. And all the men said, Amen. The married men flourishing within your homes. Hold up. Everybody, all parents here, your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. I want some vigorous children. Don't you? Mm-hmm. That is the Lord's blessing for those who, what? Fear him. You want his blessings? What do we need to do? Say it again. You want his blessings? What do we need to do? Here's another one. Proverbs 28. 14, and now we're going to go in the Amplified. I talked to another uh, female uh, minister, and she's like, I'm in the Amplified. I love it. I said, well, that's because you're a woman, and we like all more words. We like more words. That's what the Amplified is. It gives you more words. Here it is. Blessed, which is what? Happy, fortunate, and to be envied. Say it again. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied is the man who reverently and worshipfully fears the Lord. 
at all times, regardless of the circumstances. Well, one last one, Psalms 31, 19. Can we go there? How great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Friends, we need the fear of the Lord. Do you understand that? Would you stand to your feet with me, worship team? Would you come forward, please? Can you close your eyes and just focus on the Lord for a minute? I have, a, I have some questions to ask you. And this is on the back of your talk it over. We put this as homework because it's not something that I think that you could just come up to the front and get. This is not like asking someone to lay hands on you for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord needs to be worked out with fear and trembling in your own life. But what are some steps that you can personally need to take in order to better walk in the fear of the Lord? You heard the four steps. What are some steps that you need to take? Do you need to be more faithful? Do you need to hate evil more in your life? Do you need to learn what it means to really stand in true awe, true holiness of God? Do you need to learn what it means to respect and revere his name in order to receive his rewards? If there's areas in your life that you know that you need the fear of the Lord more in, would you raise your hand before the Lord right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to take a step, and I'm not going to ask the worship team to come up and pray for you because this is personal. I believe this is personal between you and the Lord. If that's you, though, I'm going to ask you to take a step, and would you come up here to this altar? Because we were talking about steps today, and so now I'm going to ask you to take some steps. Take some steps. You raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to take some steps and step all the way up here on this altar and say, God, I want the fear of the Lord in my life. It's not for someone to pray for you. It's for you to talk to the Lord and say, I want the fear of the Lord in my life. I need the fear of the Lord in my life. I need to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to speak a blessing over us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for those who are making their way to the altar who say, I need the fear of the Lord in my life. I need to take some steps to walk in the fear. God, I thank you for those who are out in our congregation today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them about the fear of the Lord, how important and foundational the fear of the Lord is in our walk with you, God. God, let us fear you, Lord Jesus, and hate evil, Lord Jesus. Let us reverently worship and respect you. Let us desire so badly to please you, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord, because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. We thank you. God, I speak your blessing over your people, God. Let them know they are the head and not the tail, Lord God. Let them know they're more than conquerors because they have you, Christ Jesus. Strengthen them. Equip them to do every good work that you've called them to do. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we're going to just begin to worship. And if you have to go, Be blessed.